They had already, they told me that I was already gonna die. You know, I was gonna, I should have been dead, you know, 15 or younger, but I'm 15 at this point when I come back to school. And I'm like, you know, and the life that I'm living to me was worse than being dead. And one day as I was in home ec class with a friend, she, we just started talking about God and I, which I typically always avoided the conversation of religion because I never wanted to talk to, to anybody about what it is that we believed because it was supposed to be a secret. But she called God Heavenly Father. And like right then and there, I paused. I was like, who are you talking about? And she's like, God. And I said, why would you call him that? Like, he's going to smite you. He's scary. And the way she talked about him was, you know, no, he loves us. He knows me by name. Like, I talk with him and he answers my prayers, you know, in my heart and my soul. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like, the only thing that I ever talked to him about is, please don't come and kill the world. And that opened up my heart and my mind to knowing that God's not black and white and that he really does love us. And that's when I came to actually know who he really was. And that was the beginning of my spiritual and emotional escape from that cult. That's Ming Ming Garner, and I'm Brian Falchuk. This is Do A Day. You'll hear from the most inspiring people who have been through hard times, overcome them, and have turned around to help others with what they've learned. I'm your host, Brian Falchuk. I know we can all overcome and achieve because I've lived it myself. I've written about it in my book, Do A Day, and that's why I'm bringing you this show. Remember, today's a new day. Go out and do it. Hey, day doers, welcome back for another episode of Do A Day. My guest today is Ming Ming Garner. She is someone who shares a present-day message, a tool, an approach that we've heard a bit about from some different guests in the past. It's about vision boarding, figuring out your purpose. And she has a really great set of tools and approaches to do that. And we talk about that. But what really set her apart and makes for one of the most gripping episodes I've done in a really long time where both of us actually got emotional and needed some time, um, actually took a pause in the midst of recording, is around her story of growing up in a cult that her mother brought her into, uh, her and her younger sister, and what life was like the way that that felt, the way that that dictated her every day, her emotions brought great sadness and fear and constraint and how she eventually escaped and saved herself and the life she's built as a result of that. It's an unbelievably powerful discussion. I've never had one like it in over a hundred episodes and talking to loads of people. It touched me really deeply. It's still new for Ming Ming to be talking about it. And I'm just thankful that she did that here. So I don't want to belabor it anymore. Let's get right into this episode with Ming Ming Garner. Ming Ming Gardner, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. So we've hinted at this before recording, but your story is different from any that I've had before, which is always interesting for me to present another perspective for someone who's out there who's struggling with something that maybe some of the past guests have been great, but not necessarily hitting as personally or resonating as tightly. So I'm very interested to have your perspective on the show today. Before we get into that, tell us a little bit about what you work on these days. Like, what, what do you do? 
So I am the owner and co-founder of a commercial security company, and I've been doing that for the last eight years. And over the last about eight months, I've been developing a new business and it's called Envision Your Purpose. And it's where I guide people to living a life of fulfillment through vision board workshops and online courses and uh, coaching and accountability. They sound completely unrelated. Is that They are. They are completely unrelated. It's kind of fun because I don't know if you're familiar with like the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, but security is, you know, one of the, the, the basic, um, the basic needs and then, um, self-actualization, which is what I teach in my envision your purpose is at the very, very top. And so I have the amazing privilege of working on both ends of that realm. And it's, it's fun and it's fascinating. So. That's actually, I never thought about it from that perspective. And now I totally get why you're doing both of those things. I'm someone who has two completely different sides of my life as well. So cool. you're in good company. But awesome. um, yeah, I was like, maybe I'm, because I, I, I was saying, I watched your video talking about your vision board work. And I was like, maybe I just misheard the security thing. Maybe that was something else, but no, nope. really interesting. Um, yeah. So where did all this vision board stuff come from? Like, how did you get into the self-actualization side of life? Because you've been at security for a while then. Yeah, I've been in it for almost nine years. But actually, it started because I was really failing in my business, in my security company. I basically... Well, we were struggling. I mean, so my husband and I actually started this business together. It was one of his dreams to own a local commercial security company. And I supported him in that, um, in the sales and marketing end of it. And three years in, when we thought, oh man, we should be doing really well, right? Well, we were sucking. (laughs) I mean, we were doing great when it comes to helping clients and things like that, but the business end of it was actually making a profit and growing the business and working on the business. We were really failing. And not only that, it was so stressful that our relationship was just hanging by a thread. And so instead of us being, you know, these, this great couple, we were like roommates and business partners. And one day my accountant said, you know, Christine, you need to do something different. You, you either need to shut your doors and get a nine to five job, or you need to turn this business around like tomorrow, figure out how to make it profitable. And, and I freaked out because I was like, I've been trying to make it profitable for the last three years. What do you think I've been doing? And I looked across the table at my husband and I just knew that we couldn't our marriage could not withstand a business failure. Mm. And so my, I knew my purpose at that time was more than just making a profit. It was to save my marriage because at that time I had also, um, we had our first son and it was so much deeper. And then I really had to dive deep into, to who it was. I, I was my talents, my skills, my passions and learning through books and podcasts and taking online courses. And um, so that's really where my passion for self-discovery came in Mm. was when I was clawing to get out of this hole that I was in. So it couldn't withstand the failure, but it also couldn't withstand the continuation of the way it was like absolutely yeah i had, had, to, I had to be different in order yeah. i had to change in order for my business to change yeah 
So that, if you were three years in, that was a while ago. So you've, yeah, this isn't like oh, this all just high. happened. You just figured some stuff out. And so now you're telling mm -hmm. people like you've been living this difference for like half a decade now. A little yes, more than that even. Yes. Yeah. And actually I had started vision boarding about the same time that I started the business. Yeah. And, but my vision board was really, <laughs> it wasn't deep. It wasn't connected to my purpose. It was just yeah. like, oh, I'd like to have this kind of body or, hey, I'd like to drive this type of vehicle or, hey, I'd like to, you know, I'd like to go on this vacation. But when I really dug deep into mm. why is it that I want to save this business and save this, uh, you know, save my family, it was, I need to save my marriage. And yeah. this, this is, these are the steps that I'm going to take to do that. And so that's when I got really purpose-driven. And then my vision boards changed. And so now I guide people to, first of all, put their purpose down on paper because that's actually very uncommon for people to have written that down ever. Yeah. And so they, they write that down and then we align and create their goals to their purpose. And then we create a plan for them to live their purpose. And I believe that purpose and passion is the intersection of fulfillment. That's where you find fulfillment. That's totally resonating with me. I think the purpose piece is what almost all of us miss as we go through in this sort of like aimless, I just have to get through from one thing to the next. Yeah. And yeah, I don't think people write it down. I don't think they would even know where to begin. And that piece of paper gets really scary or oh, you know, digital or like whatever, it doesn't matter. It's like, yeah, it's more than a lot of us are ready to face. Oh, absolutely. And that's where I'm like so passionate about giving people the little steps that they need to take in order to discover their purpose. So yeah. I actually have a document that I'd be more than happy to share with your audience. It's just, it's a free PDF where um, I guide you through to that's five questions, very five simple questions. Yeah. And then at the end, there's a spot for you to actually take all the answers that you've you've given on the paper and be able to write your purpose statement. Is it a, do you think it's a once and done kind of thing? Like what's your process for evolving and growing and checking in with that? Yeah. And I, I'm so glad you asked that question because I think that's one of the things that keeps people from identifying their purpose is they yeah. feel like I have to like have a purpose that's going to start now until the end of my lifetime. But the yeah. truth of the matter is we all have multiple purposes in our life, right? Like for example, in my security business, my purpose is to help people protect what matters most. Yep. And in my Envision Your Purpose business, my purpose is to guide people to live a life of fulfillment. And in my home, my purpose is to radiate the love of Christ. And so we have, we, we play different roles in our lives and we should have different purposes for those areas of our lives. And then also as we change, our purpose should be changing as well. So our purpose evolves as we evolve. Yeah. And so, but what's important is that we know our purpose during this season of our life. Yeah. Uh, I think that that's beautiful, the different contexts for it, but also having that there's, there's sort of like a, a guiding principle within you that spans across them and you change and your life changes. And like before your son existed and before you were met, like there's different places where, what's most important in that context may be different. 
Mm-hmm. That's okay. Like you don't need one universal right answer always and forever, which is daunting. Yeah, exactly. And and that's why I think it's so intimidating to so many people is they're like, gosh, what is it that I'm going to do for the rest of my life? And it, it, no, it's, it's a lot more simple than that. And yeah. I've broken it down in my PDF. So we, we can, definitely, I will. Yeah. If, if you can share that with me afterward, we'll link that up so people can get that and they should. Awesome. I think, I think the exercise itself is always so about like, not that it doesn't matter what comes out of it, but that process is where people feel different. It's not because there's something on the page. It's what it took to get them there. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's about the journey, right? Yeah. It's the pursuit. And when you're writing it down, you're pursuing that purpose and you're discovering so much more about yourself. And I've, I've done the exercise multiple different times and for the different roles that I play in my life. And it's yeah. really transformational. Can we can we talk about more of your backstory? Because when people hear things like this, um, yeah, you had the struggle in the business, but they may be like, oh, but you know, this is how she was raised. These are these are the kinds of like self-worth and thoughts that were around you all the time anyway. So you must have it easy. It's like, you know, people <laughs> see someone who's thin, they just presume they've never struggled with their weight without knowing if, well, maybe they weren't before or they are or you know, whatever the story may be, we don't all come from everything being perfect. So, um, and this is what, what really keyed me in when you and I connected about having you on the show. So can you share some more of your childhood and, and what you grew up with? Because it's, to me, it's so at odds with the way that you live today, which is a beautiful transformation and, and reminder of possibility, really. Thank you. I'm really glad you're asking me that question because I've had to um, kind of explain myself to some really people who felt like they were really close to me yeah. um, because they've known me for a really long time. And when I came out with my story about, um, when I came out with my story about being in the cults and the reason why I did that was because I, I was looking for a way to really be of value and of service to the world. And I knew that if I was able, vulnerable enough to tell my story and show people where I've come from and where I've, I am today, that it could give people hope that hopefully one day they could say, you know what, if she can do it, I can do it. And so, but I also want to say that if you looked at my life today, you could never pinpoint that, gosh, she must have grown up in a cult. Yeah. You know, there's just no, absolutely no way. And even the people who know me so well never knew this about me. And it's because humans like ogres have many layers. Yeah. They're like onions, right? So we're like, we're like all like onions and we have so many diff- different layers to us. And me growing up in the cult was a layer that I have really kept deep within me because it's been so painful and a really difficult topic to talk about, but I'm ready to talk about it today because I hope that it'll empower other people. But basically um, my parents were refugees from the Vietnam war and um, they raised six children in Portland, Oregon. And um, 
at the age of seven, after we had moved into my mom's dream house. I mean, this is a house that my mom and dad spent like every Sunday taking us kids to look at open houses and drive by homes to see, you know, if this was the potential dream home. And we were just barely settling in to this house. When one day my mom came home from work and she said, I heard this audio tape from a man who is a prophet of God. And he said that the world's going to end very soon. And particularly for anybody who's living on the West coast of the United States, which we were living in Portland, Oregon, she's like, there's going to be a massive earthquake and it's going to fall into the ocean and we're going to die. And she looked at my dad and she said, if you love us, if you love our family, you're going to help me sell this house and we need to follow the prophet. And you, my dad did not believe it. What's that? Where were you in the birth order? Were you the youngest, oldest? I was, I'm the fifth of six children. Okay. So you're almost yep. the youngest. Yep. Almost the youngest. So I was how, seven at the time. And then I had a little sister who's three. How old was the oldest? My oldest was, he's 10 years older than me. Is he 10 years older than me? No, he's nine years older than me. So, so it's like late teens. 16, yeah. 16, yeah, 16, 17. That, everyone's in the house. Well, yeah, he was, he was quite the troublemaker. And so at that time in our lives, he actually was living in a foster home and, and, uh, I guess lucky for him in a way yeah. he didn't have to come. He chose not to come. Yeah. But and seven um, of you were in it. What's that? Seven of you were in it. Like yeah. when your mom yep. had this realization. Yeah. Yeah. So she gives your dad this maybe ultimatum but very direct statement what mm-hmm. what's his response on this oh he fought her tooth and nail he said you know this is this is like waco texas crap you know like yeah. like this man is a fraud and stay away from him and i don't want you listening to these audio tapes anymore my mom's like well he's coming you know he's like touring um, the West coast and telling families to get out and he's going to be here this weekend and I need you to come and listen. And I just remember, you know, just this huge, well, it, to me, it was a huge gathering, but it, cause it was in a small little living room, but there was like over a hundred people just crammed into wow. this little space, listening to him prophesy about all the terrible things that were going to happen. And my dad said, no way, we're not, we're not moving. And my mom said, well, I'm leaving with or without you. And so they actually put the house in the market. My mom sold it for a price that just, it sold within a day and we packed up and my dad left us destitute without any money and in the crappiest van because he thought that in a short amount of time, my mom would come back. Yeah. But she took all of you with her. Yeah. She took all of us besides my oldest. He wouldn't come. Wow. So where, where do you guys end up? Where so, is this this profit based? Yeah, so he believed that there were three like triangles of land in the United States that were considered to be safe havens, and the nearest one was Idaho. So we moved to Pocatello, Idaho, which was like a thirteen-hour drive. So not terribly far, but not close. Yeah, and and um, worlds apart, despite how long or how, how long it is or isn't. That's Oh yeah, especially for me as a seven-year-old. I didn't have enough time to even say goodbye to my friends, my family, my cousin, who was my best friend at the time. I never got to say goodbye to her. 
And I can't imagine that there are many people who look anything like you and your family in Pocatello, Idaho. <laughs> just yeah, I had feel kids that at much school more foreign. trying to speak to me in Spanish because there weren't very many Asians. So yeah. we totally stuck out like a sore thumb for sure. Oh, but just to add to the discomfort and feeling displaced and uncomfortable and alien in something that should feel like home. Yeah. That's a yeah. lot for a little kid. It's a lot for anyone. It's like yeah, seven, you don't, you don't get what's going on. It, it's just, it's really unsettling and not okay. Absolutely. Well, and you know, my life was pretty normal back in Portland. You know, I had a pretty normal life and a full family. And when we joined the cult, it completely shattered our world um, because my dad didn't believe in the prophet and what he was prophesying, he told my mom that if you really believed in God, you need to cut him off. Mm. You need to cut him off. And anybody who doesn't believe in what I'm preaching, they cannot be a part of this group. Yeah. And it's the way cults so work. My, my dad was basically exiled. And then so were my brothers because they didn't want to pray night and day or listen to his Bible teachings night and day about the end of the world and how we could potentially be saved. And it was insane. How long did this go on? Well, I was in it until I was 17. Wow. So 10 years. I, I oh. was in it for 10 years and um, the cult is still. It's still today. around. And that's actually one of the reasons why I have never spoken up about this is because I've never wanted to breach confidence and their secret society. But this message of hope that no matter who you are or where you come from, you can live a life of fulfillment is more important than keeping this society secret. Yeah. What, obviously, like somewhat speechless for what it must have been like. How do you, as a little girl into a teenager, how do you how do you live through something like that? Like, were you did you believe it? Were you indoctrinated as well, or were you just like, I just have to get through this, just kind of go on? Like, what was your 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 mental state, your mindset on this, and how did you get through? I was always scared because, you know, they'd be preaching about God all day and we'd be praying to God all day. But God to me was somebody that was very scary. And one day he was going to end us all. Well, that was the whole message. It's the exactly. end of the world. So, yeah. And so I constantly lived in this state of fear and anxiety. And as a teenager, I was so sad. Like, I had this conversation with my sister recently when I told her that I was going to come out with my story and I was for sure she was going to disown me as her sister. But she told me, she said, you know, I, I just remember when we were kids, you were always so sad. Mm. And I'm not that person today. I'm so grateful that I've been able to overcome that yeah. past to live an incredible life, but it was hard. Yeah. It was it was extremely difficult because 
you know, we went from a family of eight to a family of three, and we were indoctrinated with this fear. And they told me that the likelihood of me dying before 15 was really high. So most likely I'd never graduate from high school or go to college or have a family or have a career. So don't worry about any of those things. All you have to do is worry about your salvation and praying and listening to the prophet. And so, yeah, definitely a very difficult decade of my life. I can imagine there's a lot of other things that went on in the cult to keep people in servitude, really. Exactly. Yeah. And and different forms of of mental and maybe physical abuse to keep you in that place of feeling like you need to be afraid. And mm-hmm. if you know you, you can't leave or everything will hit you and shame and it, all the other mental games that come with indoctrination and trying to control people. Do, mm-hmm. It sounds like you were going to school. Were you going yeah, to? I actually like a, went to school until not in the cult. Like you would go yeah, out well, to go to a school. So I, I went to school, but they always told us to not make friends, not get close to people, and because of course we had to keep our society a yeah. secret, our cult a secret. And so, but until they realized what a social butterfly I was, because when I was in the home, I was always scared, but when I go out. I'd feel so grateful to feel normal that I would try to make friends and have normal conversations with people. And they realized what a threat I was to their society that they told my mom that they had to keep me, she had to keep me at home. I couldn't go to school anymore. So my, um, starting my freshman year. So the year that I was supposed to go to high school, they pulled me out and, um, and so it was my sister and I, and I was 14, well, thir- yeah, 14, and my sister was 10 around that time. And um, yeah, we, we literally lived in darkness, physically, spiritually, and mentally. It yeah. was a really dark place. I can imagine it leads you to just shut down. It's like that one glimmer of hope you had during the weekdays is now mm-hmm. gone. How... Like I have a lot, a lot of questions and curiosities about all the things that were going on and it's a difficult subject. I don't want to push you too hard on it. And I'm sure there are lines of things that you don't want to talk about or out of respect to your family or whatever. So I, what I want to understand is how you came out of that. And it sounds like there were only three of you in there. So what happened to your brothers who, who didn't stay the path? Like, did you, everyone but the oldest went, but then not everyone stayed? Yeah, they they had to leave. They got banned. Oh wow. Exiled. Um, well, what ended up happening is we were in Pocatello, Idaho, and my dad knew where we lived because he he brought us there. And eventually the cult moved up north to St. Anthony because my dad was a threat to them because he did threaten to come and kill everybody. <laughs> you know, and that's Ultimately, he said that because he was like, gosh, I'm going to kill you guys. You know, yeah. like you ruined my life. Yeah. My family, like this is. And he's trying to save his children. My everything. Yeah. yeah. And so they um, moved us to St. Anthony, which was, it's like maybe an hour, a little over an hour away up north and to a place where my dad couldn't find us. 
And um, did you understand that at the time? You know, I didn't understand why it is that we were moving so far. You know, I just thought, well, couldn't we just move to another apartment complex or something, you know? Yeah. yeah. But they just wanted no chance of us getting found. And also they um, had been for years, they were building these underground bunkers in an area called Ashton, Idaho, and um, which isn't far away from St. Anthony. It's like a 20 minute drive. And so they wanted to live closer to that area so that, you know, after work and on the weekends, they could be working on it. Yeah. And so it was twofold, but they definitely made it so my mom could never communicate with my dad. And that was really hard for us. Yeah. Cause that's like, that's your lifeline, your escape line. Yeah. And, exactly. Yeah. So they banned your brothers, which is, sounds like actually a great thing for them that they were able to get out. But yeah, what about? In, in, in many ways it was. Um, but due to the circumstances, my dad actually became a raging alcoholic mm. and drug addict and gambler. And, you know, we, Coming, especially coming from Vietnam and then coming to America. And they worked so, I mean, they worked for almost 20 years, right? And very frugal people, but they were able to buy their dream home and they had money in the bank. And um, we lived in a really affluent area, especially for where they came from. Yeah. But, you know, they lost everything. Yeah. I mean, he lost everything through the addictions. And so, Although my brothers were leaving a very spiritually and physically dark and scary place, they definitely weren't going back to Portland to a safe place. Yeah. It was definitely a difficult situation to live yeah. in. My God. So what, how do you get out? 17, you said. Yeah, so when I, this was before I turned 15, I um, I had had it. I had been in the house for two years. And now when I say in the house, I mean, literally, they would deadbolt the door from the outside when my mom would leave for work because they didn't want me to have any chance of getting out. Yeah. And they couldn't, they couldn't keep an eye on me at all times. Although the prophet's home was right across the way from ours. And um, the only window in the house, because they literally boarded up all of our windows with plywood. Yeah. Because they said, you know, at the end of times, there's going to be a lot of evil. And in order to keep the evil out, we have to board up all your windows. Right. But the only window that was still open was the kitchen window. And that's because that kitchen window was facing the prophet's kitchen window. And they could communicate mm -hmm. that way because we didn't have a phone. They kept us from having a phone because they didn't want us communicating with the outside world and especially our family. So that was the only window that was open. And um, for months prior to this event that I'm about to tell you, I was so desperate, just so desperate to get a hold of my dad and get out. 
Yeah. And so I started gathering up change wherever I could find it and stealing a dollar here and there from my mom's purse. And over time I had gotten just almost enough money for a bus ticket. It was like the bus ticket was like 46 bucks. And I had just, I was like $5 shy from a bus ticket. And I had been gathering up this up for over several months. And I just remember having a Ziploc bag that I, I hid very tightly um, in my closet. And I had never told my sister my plan Yeah. because I didn't want her to worry about it. Yeah. And so I just remember the day when I told her, I said, sis, I'm going to leave. I'm going to go find dad. And she's like, how? And I was like, well, I gathered up this money. I don't have quite enough for a bus ticket, but I know that once I get there, somebody's going to be willing to help me yeah. get the rest of the money that I need. And I was like, I'm going to go back to where close to where we used to live, close to where our cousins live. And I'm going to put up a sign saying, I'm looking for Kai Tran, which is my dad. And I just hoped and prayed that somebody knew him and would help me find him. And I knew that although it was really dangerous to do that, you know, go all the way to Portland, Oregon by myself, 14, yeah. I mean, less than a hundred pounds. I didn't have any other money, Yeah, but it was better than what I was living. Yeah, for sure. And I needed us to get out. Yeah. I needed me and my sister to get out. So we just cried together. It was so hard because we had always been together, Yeah, you know, through thick and thin. And I, I told her, I promised her, I was like, I'm going to come back for you. So I crawled out that window on the way to the bus stop, but there was a cop that lived nearby. And so I knocked on his door and I told him my plan really quick. And he said, but my sister's still in that house. You need to help her. And he said, I can't let you go because you'd be considered a runaway. I can't let you go, but I'm going to help the both of you. He said, crawl back into the window, act as if nothing's happened. And I will send the police tomorrow. So just like he promised, the police came the next day with child protective services. And even our high school principal Actually, my my junior high principal, he came too. Because I remember, well, we have, we had at the time um, two German shepherds that guarded our house. They chained these two um, vicious dogs to the porch to keep anybody from coming close to the house. And I just remember the dogs going crazy. And I looked out the window and my, my sister and I were looking out the window and the cops were there. And, you know, it was like, like seven people were standing outside waiting for my mom to come out. And my mom was scared to death. She was like, Oh my gosh, what's going on? And she went out there and she had about an hour conversation with them. And when she came in, she never told us what it was. I was like, mom, what was that? What was happening? And she never said anything. But I knew that it was the police. Um, 
But unfortunately, I had to stay in. I mean, I don't know why they didn't extract me. Yeah. <laughs> my sister at that time. But I think it's because my mom promised that she'd put me back in school the next school year. And so the next school year, we, we got to go to school and um, I just experienced a, a new level of freedom that I hadn't had for the last couple of years. So I was just grateful. It's I'm like picturing the scene and one hand is like, they're going to get them out. And the other hand is like, they're going to get bamboozled and walk away yeah, thinking that, yeah, that you guys made up a story and everything's fine. And that's not what happened. Exactly. So this was my fear was that it's, it's like what happens in movies, but this is, I think for a lot of people, it's hard to understand. Like this is, this is your life. Like you have the, the lifeline of your father, you guys moved away. You get out, you go to the police. And my fear is you're going to say like, they didn't believe me or they took me to my parents to my mother or to the prophet. And, you know, I got in trouble for trying to get out. They didn't do that. They showed up, they came in force and it sort of got smoothed over mm -hmm. and it's better that you got to go to school, but you're still in it. Exactly. So how do you ultimately get out? Is it two more years of plotting and planning to escape and saving or what? So once I got back to school, I, well, my, my spiritual and emotional escape came way before my physical escape. Yeah. But because at this point, they had already, they told me that I was already going to die. You know, I was going to, I should have been dead, you know, 15 or yeah. younger, but I'm 15 at this point when I come back to school and I'm like, you know, yeah. the world hasn't ended yes. yet. And the life that I'm living to me was worse than being dead. Yeah. So I stopped believing in a lot of what they had taught me, except for the fact that I still believed who their version of God was. And one day, as I was in home ec class with a friend, she, we just started talking about God and I, which I typically always avoided the conversation of religion yeah. because I never wanted to talk to, to anybody about what it is that we believed because it was supposed to be a secret. And, but she called God heavenly father. And like right then and there, I, paused. I was like, who are you talking about? Yeah. And she's like, well, God. And I said, why would you call him that? Like, he's going to smite you. You know, like yeah. you don't talk to him like that. Like you, he's God, like he's scary. And yeah. the way she talked about him was, you know, no, he loves us. He knows me by name. Like I talk with him and he answers my prayers, you know, in my heart and my soul. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like the only thing that I ever talked to him about is please save me, you know, save right. my family. And he doesn't. Please yeah. don't come and kill the world. And I, so that opened up my heart and my mind to knowing that the world's not black and white. God's not black and white. 
and that he really does love us. And that's when I came to actually know who he really was. And that was the beginning of my spiritual and emotional escape from that cult. That one conversation in home. I know, insane, right? And that's where I know that a lot of times, and I've been so guilty of this, thinking like, I'm just one person. How can I help? How can I be of service? I'm just one person. But I know that from one person, they can help another person. And that person could raise a generation of people. Yeah. That can help change the world. Yeah. So it takes just one. And that's yeah, and that's what you're doing. I mean, the fact that you're living the life that you're living, that you're not just doing that for yourself and your immediate family, but also trying to help others see that path forward and the and the vision boarding. It's not about having stuff and things like like you said, the earlier versions, a lot of people like the high school version of it is like, what magazine cutouts do you put on the wall and you're dreaming? That's not the same as where you want to go with your life and why you want to go there. I am so curious how you did physically get yourself out and what your life looks like today relative to your family. Yeah. So, um, I was having a conversation with, a a friend of my mom's who claimed to know everything about religion and everything about God and had been in lots of different religions. And she was also part of the cult. And, um, I gathered up the courage to talk with her and say, you know what? I don't, I actually don't believe this anymore. And my mom was in the kitchen and she overheard it. Mm. And she threw a pan across the room. And she was like, you're no longer my daughter. Get out. Wow. And I was 17 and I had nowhere to go. But my friend who originally spoke to me about Heavenly Father, her and I had become really good friends. And at the time she was living in California, but I called her and I said, this is just what happened. And I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go, but I have to get out. And she said, I'm going to call my mom and you can come live with my mom. And so I packed up my stuff and I left the next day. Her mom was still in Idaho or? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Wow. That's how you, and your sister was still there. My sister was still there. What's the situation today? Because you said when you went to tell your sister about coming out with a story, you were afraid of what her reaction might be. So I take it she stayed in the cult. She still believed or still believes today or what happened? So this is one of the reasons why I never told my story is because I never wanted to... um, hurt them or disrespect them in any way. And so this is where I have to guide the conversation to a different topic. That's fine. Yeah. I I do think it's really interesting though, that 
a lot of people who go through something traumatic at the hands of someone else, even a parent or a loved one, there's a retribution and a sense of, I need to punish them. Or they did this to me, they don't agree with me, I'm gonna call them out, I'm gonna put them on blast. To, and, and some feel that that's necessary to turn your life around is you have to have vengeance, right? And the position you're taking is the complete opposite, is love and respect and protection for them despite. And I'm not, you know, I'm not lumping your sister into like who you should be mad at or not. It's, it's not to call anyone out in particular, but to have gone through that at the hands of other people and to say, I mean, going back to your original talk about your purpose as your context in different parts of your life. And when you said your purpose in your home, but to radiate the love of Christ, I think is what yeah. you said. Um, that's not, that doesn't fit with the idea of having vengeance against people or hurting people. And so again, like to me, it's a really strong lesson that no matter what we go through, the way that we live in the present moment can still be informed by our values. And we don't have to, we don't have to stray from that to be okay. Mm -hmm. That our values, even though others may not understand or, or, you know, like that rage your father felt, you know, about like, I'm going to kill you. Like a lot of people are probably like, yeah, I get that. Um, to bring yourself to a different place and have love and compassion despite everything is to me is 10 times more beautiful and harder, but so much more rewarding. So we don't need to cross that line. That's totally fine. And I just want to call out how much respect I have for, for how you are moving forward from this and the love that you continue to have in the same way that you talk about the difference between the two versions of God that you were exposed Absolutely. to. Absolutely. Uh, and, you know, one of the biggest things that I learned about Heavenly Father on my quest, on my journey to living this fulfilling life, is that He is so merciful. You know, and I look about, I look at what happened to Jesus Christ and how loving and perfect He was, but people still crucified Him and He forgave. And I just think, I, I didn't go through nearly as much as he did. And he, I, if he can forgive, I will yeah. forgive. Yeah. That's a really beautiful way to look at it. And for beautiful for you. Thank you. That, exactly. And it, that's the thing. That's the beautiful thing about forgiveness is people feel like, like, oh, you forgave your mom or these people. Like I'm giving them grace. And although that's partly true, I'm giving myself grace and freedom from hatred and all these negative feelings that I could have about that whole decade of my life, you know, that's too heavy to bear. And I've chosen not to. Because you're still living in that same place. Yeah. There's no way that I could free myself the way that I have if I still felt all the hatred you know i've i've learned to forgive and it has been one of the most beautiful parts of my life yeah well this is i mean that notion is something some people call out as a cliche you know oprah talks about a lot it's like she forgave the man who sexually assaulted her abused her and she's like it's not that's not for him that's for me and people like oh whatever 
no, like, again, I think it's a beautiful example that it actually is for you. Yeah. And it is about the life you get to live and for your family and for your friends and for, you know, for the community that is your life today, for that to be okay, it can't be full of rage and anger and resentment and, and vengefulness. And for those other people, like whether you have love for them or hate for them, doesn't really change their life at all. So it's not about those people. It's all about what you're carrying with you. Yep, exactly. Um, not to to bring this back to vision boards and cut that off, but um, and not just vision boards, but purpose and vision and where you want to take your life, they do go hand in hand for me, absolutely. And you, I mean, this isn't just the coming out of the business, having a struggle and building a better business and and having a happier family, hearing everything that came before your family now, yeah. um, I think brings even more clarity to just how powerful these exercises can be because look at how you're living. Yeah. Thank you. And you know, it's, it's been such a journey of self-discovery for me because like I've, I've always loved the vision boarding because planning out my life, planning out my future to me is such a blessing because in the past they told me I was going to die young. So I never planned out my life. I never planned on having a wonderful life. And so this is such an exhilarating experience for me. And I just want everybody to have this amount of excitement and gratitude and joy as they're thinking about their future and making a plan to live their purpose is such an incredible freeing experience. And truly, I never, of course I never planned to have this life as a child, but also the life that I'm living today didn't happen by accident. You know, over the last eight years, I've been working very, very hard to become more so that I can have more, more joy, more abundance, more freedom in my life. And I just, I'm a firm believer that no matter who you are or where you come from, you can live a life you love. And that is so full of abundance and you can live, you can leave an amazing legacy. Yeah. Yeah. And your, your son is proof of that, right? Watching him grow up and the way he's growing up is going to be even yes. more. Yes. And I actually have uh, three yeah. little. I was going to say, I don't know I if there's love just them the one. so much to see them be able to live a life of freedom and make good or bad choices in their life is so wonderful to me. And that's really beautiful. Ming Ming, this this has been a really obviously powerful, hard and beneficial story to go through. I can't thank you enough for the honesty that you're willing to bring to this. And, um, I don't think anyone was was ready for where this was going to go. And that's kind of the point is like, this is real stuff. It does go on. And we all are in different kinds of darkness at different points in our lives. And it often feels like, you know, finding a penny isn't going to do anything for us. And you kept finding those pennies and dimes and nickels and dollars and whatever to try to save up for that bus money just to keep pushing ahead. Um, beautiful reminder that 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 was sort of vision boarding you know, you had that plan and you were taking those little steps 
despite all that you were being crushed by. Um, absolutely beautiful what you've done. I, you know, I struggle to find a better word for it because it really is. It's it's beauty. It's love. It's um, incredibly hope inspiring. So thank you for all that you shared and the honesty that you brought with it. Um, where can people find out more about th this message, this inspiration that you're bringing? Thank you. Well, I host in person <laughs> vision board workshops in Idaho Falls, Idaho. And um, I know that obviously for geographic reasons, not everybody can attend, but I'm in the process of creating an online an online course, an online workshop, because I, I want everybody to have the opportunity to dive deep into self-discovery so that they can have a higher level of clarity and live a life they love. So I will be launching that um, in the near future. But I know that not, you know, work workshops like this or vision boarding may not be everybody's cup of tea, but I hope that I can be of value and of service to people through um, the little tidbits of, of inspiration that I give on, on Facebook and through Instagram. And so you can follow me at Christine Ming Ming Garner. So it, Ming Ming is spelled M-I-N-H, M-I-N-H. And then if you'd like to learn more about, um, what I do in my workshop, then you can go to mingming.com forward slash workshop. And actually it's, it's Ming dash Ming. So it's M-I-N-H dash M-I-N-H dot com forward slash workshop. But I'd really love, I mean, I would just love for everybody to go and get my free PDF, which is um, discover your purpose. So you can put your purpose on paper in five minutes or less. And so it's, um, I'll put it in the yeah. show notes too, but that's Ming dash Ming dot com forward slash purpose one, two, three. We, I will link to all of this, including your social media, and people should connect with you and follow you there. And um, so we will link to all of that, and people should check it out. And also, if it's not out when the um, this episode comes out, I'll update the show notes when your course, your online version of the workshop comes out. So people can always, if you're listening to this and you're like, oh, I wonder if I can jump on it, just check the show notes. If it's there, it's live. Um, Ming Ming, are you ready to help me close the show out? You know it. <laughs> All right. Today's a new day. Go out and make it fulfilling. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. Wow. I gave you that sense at the beginning of how powerful and deep and difficult and yet beautiful and hope-inspiring this episode would be. And I know, I know it was for everyone. I felt this one pretty profoundly throughout the recording and all the times I've gone back to re-listen and edit and think about the the things that Ming Ming lived through, the things that she learned, the way she carries herself today. And it's such a beautiful lesson of the ability we have to find hope and possibility, even when it's literally been locked away from us. Um, just unbelievably inspiring for me to think about what's possible when we're certain nothing is and everyone around us is telling us there's nothing um, so you do need to go find out more about her you can go to her site it's minh-minh.com and i will link to the workshop to that um, that simple tool 
you know, that five questions to discover your purpose that she talked about. And you should follow her at Christine Mingming Garner, uh, at, you know, on social media. Um, again, I will link to all of that. And for those of you in the Idaho Falls area or close enough that you can get to Southeast Idaho, if you are comfortable in this situation, we all find ourselves in traveling and being in groups. Uh, she is doing a, an intimate, you know, small workshop on building that vision board, building that sense of future, finding your purpose in September. So we're giving you some time to check out her site and to get in on that. So check the show notes for the links there or just visit mingming.com. It's M-I-N-H dash M-I-N-H dot com. And she will obviously be posting more information, but that's her next workshop in September in Idaho Falls, Idaho. I hope that this, while it may have been tough to listen to, that this resonated. Um, I hope that it's got you thinking about possibility. And if you see darkness in your situation and you don't see a potential for there to be light, remember that even in the most difficult, we can still find better. Ming Ming is a perfect example of that. All right, I'm going to leave it there. If you enjoyed this show, please do leave a comment on Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you use. Review the show. It helps tremendously. And this is one of those episodes that I think touches us all. So commenting about something like this, leaving a review that hits on the power of what my guests bring, um, you know, not only helps the show to grow and helps people discover it, but it pays respect to when people open up about what they've been through with the hope of helping us, the listeners, and I count myself in that group, do better and make it through what we face. All right, day doers, that is it for this episode. You can join me next week, and between now and then, we will be faced with so many opportunities to go out and do it. Thanks, everyone.